0: Good morning. Let's pray. Lord God, may your word be a lamp to our feet and a light to our path through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Today's scripture reading is Matthew 3 1 through 12. In those days, John the Baptist came, preaching in the desert of Judea and saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. This is he who was spoken of through the prophet Isaiah a voice of one calling in the desert, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. John's clothes were made of camel hair, and he had a leather belt around his waist. His food was locusts and wild honey. People went out to him from Jerusalem and all Judea and the whole region of Jordan, confessing their sins. They were baptized by him in the Jordan River. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to where he was bifed, baptizing. He said to them, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath, produce fruit in keeping with repentance, and do not think you can say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. I tell you that out of these stones, God can raise up children for Abraham. The ax is ready at the root of the trees, and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. I have baptized you with water for repentance, but after me will come one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I am not fit to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor, gathering his wheat into the barn and burning up the chaff with unquenchable fire. This is the word of the Lord.
1: of hearing me say that. Uh, It's a season leading up to Christmas, and just like the Jews 2,000 years ago were waiting and waiting and waiting for the promised Messiah, uh, we still find ourselves, in some sense, waiting. That even though we believe Jesus has been born, as we sang about this morning, and how cute was that, by the way? Unbelievably cute. Um, Jesus Christ has been born. We're still waiting because so many of us still recognize, it doesn't take much to recognize, that there's still darkness and brokenness in our world. And so in the season of Advent, we're waiting, much like the Jews waited for their Messiah, we're waiting for Jesus to come, not only a first time but a second time when he promises he will make all things new and all things right. We're thinking uh, about Advent this year through the lens of John the Baptist. And John the Baptist preaches this very famous message that we're looking at this morning when he says, repent, for the kingdom of God, has, or the kingdom of heaven has come. Now, we don't really, repent is a real churchy word. It's like a real Baptist word, especially. You hear it, I don't know why, in Baptist churches, especially. But my, my hunch is, if you're anything like me, you actually don't know a lot about repentance. It's, it's a message that's always, to be honest, kind of bothered me, um, almost until this week. You know, if you think of repent, like what comes to mind, what image comes to mind when you think of the word repentance? For me, I think of the the street corner preacher, like they're real angry and maybe they have a sign and what are they yelling? They're yelling angrily, repent, repent. And you walk by and you try not to make eye contact and just kind of get by, right? Anybody else? The word repent literally just means to make a U-turn. It means to change. And it's the same in Greek and Hebrew, and it's used in both the Old and the New Testament. It literally just means you were going one way, and now you've made a U-turn, and you're going another. So let's set the scene. Here's John, and he's absolutely wild-looking. There's this, did you notice the little detail that he eats locusts and wild honey? Like, I don't even know what to do with that. He's just, he's just a character. And he's preaching this message. Repent for the kingdom of heaven has come. And this is this is what has baffled me for years is that people, not just a handful but a lot, like hundreds and thousands of people came to hear John preach this message. And they came, the text tells us, from Jerusalem and Judea and from the whole region of the Jordan, which doesn't mean much to us because most of us haven't been to that region, but that's like saying people came from miles and miles and miles away, 50 miles away or more. And remember, they couldn't just jump in the car and travel 50 miles in an hour. They were walking days, maybe some people were walking up to a week to hear John, this crazy-looking, scraggly-haired, locust-eating guy, tell them, repent. Why? If if John's message of repentance is the same as that street-corner preacher's message of repentance, nobody's going to go see him, right? Like, you might you might take an afternoon off if he's local and just go kind of see the spectacle and be done with it but who's going to take a week or two weeks off of work and travel for a week just to hear somebody give them a drawn out guilt trip what's the draw this is this has actually like really bugged me why did people go and then this week it started to become clear this has just been a this has been a fun week for me because i feel like i've learned so much about what's going on here and i just so i'm just kind of sharing with you this week What I've learned. That John says, here's here's it all kind of hinges on the word for, believe it or not. John says, repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come. If you were to rephrase it, you would say, the kingdom of heaven has come, therefore repent. Repentance is grounded in the kingdom of heaven or to put it differently, you cannot understand repentance if you don't understand the kingdom of heaven. And the kingdom of heaven, this is so key, is good news. The kingdom of heaven is good news. It's not bad news. The kingdom of heaven is good news. So we're going to think a little bit this morning about the kingdom of heaven, and then we're going to ground our understanding of repentance in the kingdom of heaven and see what that looks like for us. Throughout the New Testament, John teaches, Jesus actually teach in in the Gospel of Matthew alone, Jesus teaches about the kingdom of heaven more than four dozen times. I would say that Jesus' like biggest concern, the number one thing he wants to teach us about is the kingdom of heaven. And what John and what Jesus and what the whole scriptures teach us about the kingdom of heaven is that it's fundamentally opposed to what you might call the kingdom of this world. So here are just a few examples, and we've actually thought about some of these over the past six months, and and I'm going to continue some of these themes really throughout 2023. The kingdom of earth, for example, the kingdom of this world, runs on the principle of scarcity. We thought a lot about this a couple months ago. And if the world runs on scarcity, if everything in the world is scarce, then you better get as much as you can and not lose anything. It means that you'll live a life of self-preservation. But the kingdom of heaven, Jesus says, is a kingdom of abundance. And if the kingdom of heaven is abundant, then we are set free to be almost liberally generous with all joy, not having to worry about self-preservation. Here's another example. The kingdom of of earth, the kingdom of this world, is is a kingdom that values utility. So the value of something or you might even say, dare I say, the value of someone is in how much it can be used, how much you can get out of it. The kingdom of heaven doesn't prize utility, but it prizes beauty. And beauty, by definition, is over the top and inefficient and, dare I say, even wasteful. And I know that for good New Englanders, waste is a four-letter word. I mean, it's five, but you get the idea. And yet God says, I love beauty, beauty that's, that's, that's so extravagant that people might even call it wasteful. Here's one more example. The kingdom of earth, the kingdom of this world is busy. It's fast-paced. It's go, go, go. And by all means, don't get left behind. But the kingdom of heaven, Jesus said, is like a seed that you plant and you water and you wait. And very slowly, steadily, surely, but slowly it grows. And it might take years, it might take decades. But what's the rush, especially when after decades you have a massive oak tree whose shade you can enjoy that sure beats that little weed that grew up six feet in the course of six months but is going to die this winter. Do you see? The kingdom of heaven is fundamentally opposed to the kingdom of this world and the kingdom of heaven is good news. In fact, it's the kingdom that deep down I would wager and I'm, I'm speaking for you and I know that's dangerous, but I would wager you long for the kingdom of heaven. You long to live an abundant, beautiful, unhurried life. And maybe you feel trapped in a scarce and utilitarian and fast paced world. Don't you want to lead a generous life? Don't you want to appreciate beauty? Don't you want to lead a present and unhurried life? The reality is we long for the kingdom of heaven. So when John says, repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come, do you see what he's saying? He's saying the kingdom that you have always longed for is right here and right now, which means you now can live into that kingdom that you have always longed to live into. You see, the way I had been hearing repentance, and if you're anything like me, the way you had been hearing repentance or the whole message is this. The kingdom of heaven is near. Jesus is right around the corner, so shape up and get your act together. Anybody else? It was a guilt trip. But that cannot be what godly repentance really means. And this little detail about people traveling days and days and days just to hear John's message has been so helpful for me because I'm not going to take a week off of work just to go travel and hear somebody preach a sermon that's guilt tripping me. Not interested. I don't need that. You don't need that. And people 2,000 years ago didn't need that either. Do you know what will get my attention? If somebody is saying, you know what? There is actually a new way to be human. There's a way to be more human than you've ever been able to be before. And the otherworldly world that you long for is actually breaking into this world and you are, you are being invited to participate in that world. You see what John is doing? I should say, do you see what God is doing? Because John is God's messenger. He's saying re- repentance, this thing we thought was a guilt trip, it's a carrot, not a stick. You know the image, right? Like there's two ways to get a horse to go somewhere you want it to go. You can take a stick and you can whip it and it'll just go, or you can lead it somewhere with a carrot because it wants to eat the carrot. Right? You can hurt the horse and make it run from something, or you can, you can woo the horse, you can feed the horse and make it run to something. When John says repent, and Jesus says it too, but we're in John the Baptist. So when John and Jesus, when God invites you to repent, do you see? He's not, he's not wagging his finger and saying you need to do better. It's John saying, it's God saying, like, the better you have always longed for is now possible. The life you long to live, the most fully human, fully empathetic fully relational, fully loving life, the life that seems too good to be true, <laughs> is right here, right now. The kingdom of heaven has come. And now you, you can repent. It's not you should repent, it's you can. You can change. You can find the courage to live the human and loving life that you've always longed to live, but maybe been too afraid to live. That's that's good news, isn't it? Or am I the only one? Now, now, if the kingdom of this world, if the kingdom of earth, you know, the scarce, the utilitarian, the always-on-the-go kingdom, if that's the dominant kingdom, then, like, I get why you don't want to live into that. Even if you wanted to live a heavenly kingdom life if if all there is is a worldly kingdom, then you'd be you'd be crazy, right? So what happens if you try to be generous in a scarce world? You get burned. What happens if you try to pursue beauty in a world that only values utility? At best you look like a like an irrelevant fool. What happens if you try to slow down and be present in a world that is always going to the next place? You get left in the dust. But are you really satisfied in a scarce kingdom? Or have you noticed that in a kingdom of scarcity, like you, you just always have to get a little bit more. It's never enough. Are you ever truly fulfilled in a utilitarian kingdom? Or is there always a persistent longing for something more? And can you ever find true rest in a busy on-the-go kingdom? Or do you find that you're always restless? Like even when you're on vacation sitting on a beach with a little drink and an umbrella a thousand miles away, you just feel like you should be doing something. John says the kingdom of heaven is here. The kingdom of heaven is here. Right here, right now. Little side note, you might be used to hearing a phrase the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Even the translation that we typically use says the kingdom of heaven is near. Those translations aren't bad, they're a little more poetic. The trouble trouble with that is that it makes it sound like, well, it's close, it's almost here, but not quite. So just hold out a little bit longer. But that's not really, even if you look at, in Greek, it's a simple past tense. It is here. It has come right here, right now. And so John invites us, repent, not as a guilt trip, not to say you should, but as an invitation to say, come on in, welcome. Welcome to the kingdom of heaven. Do you want to come in? The Apostle Paul puts it this way. This is from Galatians 5. He says, "...the kingdom of this world is marked by immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, and the like." And then he contrasts that and he says, but the kingdom of heaven is marked by love and joy and peace and patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. The call to repent is really a question, like which kingdom do you want to live in? Which invitation will you RSVP yes to? Here's how James puts it. We were just in looking at the book of James this fall. James says basically the same thing. He says the kingdom of the world is marked by bitterness and selfish ambition. But he says the kingdom of heaven is pure and peace-loving and considerate and submissive and full of mercy and good fruit. It's impartial. It's sincere. So which kingdom will you live in? Not everybody chooses the kingdom of heaven, by the way. We actually see this right here. And when John the Baptist is preaching, that, a lot, that you know who's actually most likely to reject the kingdom of heaven? It's religious people. It's religious people. Look at verses 7 and 8. If you have your program, or your Bible open, look at... So when John saw many of the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and those, they're not just religious people, they're the religious leaders. They're the people that the religious people wish they could be like. When John saw the Pharisees and the Sadducees coming to where he was baptizing, he said to them, You, <laughs> you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? What is, and then what does he tell them? Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. It's worth noting that the message he has for religious people is the exact same message that God has for, his, for irreligious people. Repent. That God invites irreligious people and religious people into his kingdom. Now, the religious leader they're the ones in power. And if they're the ones in power, we all know this, the people with the most power are the ones who are least likely to want to see anything change because the system and structures that are are the ones that have allowed them to, they've figured out those system and structures and gained power and they don't want to lose it. Like, that's human nature. And interestingly, the religious leaders are also the ones who are used to being in charge and telling people, you need to change, you need to change. Except when they tell people repent, they're using it as a guilt trip. Now they find themselves as the audience not the messengers and they find that the message has been flipped upside down and they huff and they puff we know they huff and they puff too like see you have any idea who he's talking to and of course john knew exactly who he was talking to because verse 9 Look at what he says. He says, and do not think you can say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. I love how you read that, Mindy. I was like, it's really, thank you. And don't think that you can say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. I tell you, out of these stones, God can raise up children for Abraham. The axe is already at the root of the trees, and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. And now you get why people didn't like John the Baptist like the only thing more abrasive than his appearance was probably his personality. You understand maybe why people wanted his head on a platter. The Pharisees and the Sadducees, the people he's talking to, are good Jews. They're the best Jews. And every good Jew would tell you, I'm a child of Abraham. I'm a descendant, a physical descendant of Abraham. Abraham is my father. You see, they're banking on their past. They're hoping they can get by with God based on their family connections. And to the best of the best Jews, what does John say? He says, you know what? God can raise up for Abraham children from these stones. What matters? Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. You see, when we truly repent... When we enter into the kingdom of God and honestly respond yes to God's invitation to enter his kingdom, it changes us. Like there is no alternative. If you're, and if you're not changed, you haven't said yes to God. What John is telling the religious leaders of his day and what he's telling us in 2022 is that you cannot bank on your spiritual resume if we were to translate this more and more into 21st century language, John might have put it this way. He says, you were, you were baptized. You became a member of a church. You were a member of that church for years, maybe decades. You brought your children to church. You served on a board or a committee, or you organized this thing, or you ran that thing and that event. And John says, Have you repented? have you repented? Or maybe a better question is, are you repenting? Because it's not just a one-time thing that we do in the past. It is a constant, daily, hourly invitation. Does your life bear fruit that, that is evidence of repentance? Are you growing in love and joy and peace? Do you even want to grow in love and joy and peace and patience and kindness? goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. He says what matters to God is your heart, not your history. The kingdom of heaven has come. It's a kingdom of abundance, not of scarcity. So John says, repent and receive God's invitation to live a life that is abundant and therefore generous. Generous. Like he says, in other words, he says you don't have to be afraid of being generous anymore. Afraid that you'll give too much and then not have enough for yourself or for your family. Because think, think with me here. This is just plain logic. If God is truly abundant, if God is truly abundant, then His out- abundance outweighs your abundance anyway. And so, even if you were to give a little too much, and you can't, but even if you could then his abundance, like, of course his abundance would cover yours because his abundance is your abundance. And I know, and you might think, Chris, that's just pie in the sky. That'll never work. Have you tried? (laughs) Have Have you tried? The kingdom of heaven is a kingdom of beauty, not of strict utility. So John says, Repent receive God's invitation to live a life that pursues beauty and that celebrates beauty and that spends time, time that could be spent doing something productive and spend that time looking for beauty instead of writing it off as a loss because it's unnecessary and inefficient. In in the kingdom of heaven, you don't have to have something to show for every waking moment of your life. Do you believe that? You don't have to justify yourself. You don't have to prove that you've earned your keep. So drink deeply from the beauty of the kingdom of heaven because it's yours if you say yes. The kingdom of heaven is an unhurried kingdom not a rushed kingdom. So John says, repent. The kingdom of heaven is here, the unhurried kingdom of heaven. So repent and let yourself slow down and look someone in the eye and see them and actually like listen to, genuinely listen to someone instead of just absently nodding and saying, you know, "Mm mm-hmm, every couple of moments so they think you're listening while you're thinking about the next thing in life. read read the Gospels and tell me when was Jesus ever in a hurry? Can anybody name it? When in the Gospels in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John when did anybody ever say hey Jesus how's it going and Jesus said man I'm so busy right now like I'm just slammed. So why do you feel like if you're not busy you're not cutting it? Scarcity And to be frank, the inevitable stinginess that comes along with it is a kingdom of earth mindset, not a kingdom of heaven mindset. God's kingdom is abundant and generous. Strict utilitarianism, right? Trying to squeeze every last drop out of something in the name of efficiency and not wasting anything is a kingdom of earth mindset, not a kingdom of heaven mindset. God's kingdom celebrates, pursues, and creates extravagant, even, dare I say, wasteful beauty. And excessive busyness. Never stopping, never letting yourself rest or be refreshed, thinking that the more you work, the more valuable you are. That's the kingdom of earth. That's not the kingdom of heaven. God's kingdom is slow and unhurried, and present. Which is not to say it's anti work. In fact, being patient and present will allow you to work better and more deeply. So, what does this have to do with Advent? Remember, we're in Advent? <laughs> have I mentioned that? All this morning, you might be thinking, like, okay, Chris, this all sounds good. But it doesn't, I don't, I don't see the kingdom of heaven a whole lot. I see the kingdom of earth and it's right in front of me. I don't see the kingdom of heaven. And, and I would just respond to that, you're like, you're, you're right, partially. The kingdom of heaven has come, but it hasn't yet filled the earth. Jesus has come. He was born. He lived. He died. He rose again. He, was, he has come. He's inaugurated his kingdom, but we're still waiting on him to come again and complete his kingdom. We live, as it turns out, in the in-between. Advent is all about living in the in-between. It's a season of waiting, right? So how do we wait well? We wait well by living into and participating in the kingdom of heaven even when it looks like the kingdom of earth rules the day because we walk by faith, not by sight. And there are times, like I get it, I feel this, I feel this too. There are times when all we see is the busyness and the scarcity and the efficiency of the world, and we don't see the kingdom of heaven we become, however, a kingdom of heaven people, an advent people, when in the face of a scarce and utilitarian and overly busy world, we insist defiantly, God's kingdom has come. And when in that insistence, we discover the courage, the courage to live patiently and beautifully and abundantly. In other words, when we repent, when we repent, or when we just say yes to God's invitation because he has said yes to us. God's kingdom, the kingdom that we long for, even if you don't realize it, like the kingdom of love and joy and peace, because who doesn't want a kingdom of love and joy and peace? God's kingdom has come, plain and simple, That's the good news. That's the gospel. Which means that even now you can live a kingdom of heaven life on this earth. His kingdom has come. His kingdom is coming on earth as it is in heaven. Do you see that like like God actually invites you to be a partial answer to the prayer that you pray every week when you say, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. God's kingdom has come. He's inviting you into it. We don't get in because we say, I'm a child of Abraham. God can raise up from these stones, children, for Abraham. He doesn't need that. We enter God's kingdom through repentance, simply by saying yes to his invitation to live the life that, frankly, we've always wanted to live. We were just too afraid to. The kingdom of heaven has come. Let's pray. Lord, we confess that um, often we live as though your kingdom hasn't come. We forget or we just think it's too good to be true or we think that can't be true or I don't see it so it can't be true. Forgive us and give us the courage to defiantly repent and to live your abundant, beautiful, and patient life. Teach us and change us. In Jesus' name, amen.